Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. We are continuing our study in the walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. This is part 51 in the sermon Jason has entitled, Triumph to Tragedy. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, and today Jason's looking at verses 30 to 41. Here's Jason. Well, good morning. What a pleasure it is to, to gather together this morning. Thank you for choosing to join with us this morning and celebrating our Lord, basking in His grace and what He's doing not only here at RBC in Temecula, but in Malawi. What a tremendous encouragement, is it not? to hear Charlotte and to see all that the Lord is doing and continues to do. And we will see that this morning in the book of Acts. You can, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 15 as we continue our walk through the book of Acts, watching Jesus at work. And, and as you turn there, perhaps you are like me and you are a bit of a, of a sports enthusiast, especially when it comes to the Olympics. Maybe you're not even a sports enthusiast, but when the Olympics come around, you love to watch the Olympics. And and perhaps you remember back to 2008. I remember because we were living in Papua New Guinea, so I usually got all the DVDs for for the Olympics several months short. So I was always trying not to hear about what happened actually before it happened. I could actually see them on, you know, live for me, which would have been a couple months short. And what I was in particularly excited to to watch were the relay races in track and field. The 400 meter relay actually in particular. Why? Because the American team was so strong. For so many years, they had dominated the 400 relay. In fact, as far as the women goes, they had won 11 gold medals, and that was more than all the other nations combined. The men's team up to 2008 had won 15 out of 21 possible gold medals they were dominating and and i'd have to believe that as they got on the airplane to take off to beijing they no doubt were thinking that they were on the road to triumph they could probably picture themselves going up on the podium and bowing their heads and and having a gold medal placed uh, around their necks and yet if you know what happened in the 2008 beijing olympics you know that that isn't the case. That, that actually the women's team and the men's team didn't even medal. They, they didn't even get third, a bronze. In fact, they didn't even make it into the final round, the gold round. They didn't even get to compete for a medal. And you might think, well, well most likely somebody tripped. Or, or perhaps somebody was in, ejected because of drugs or, or something like that. And if, and if that is your guess, no, you were wrong. You, you know what the reason is why they did not compete? Was because of the baton pass. You know, in the relay race, as, as they go around, it's, it's one loop, 400 meters around, and there's four guys or four girls, ladies running, and they have one baton, and it's, and it's just a little bit over 12 inches long. 
And it's not heavy. And all you have to do is pass it on to the next person. The the Americans were faster. And in every aspect, they should have won. But this one thing they didn't do was the easiest thing, really. Just the passing off of the baton. And, And yet, a lot of people would say, what was the problem? Well, it was communication. That's what led them astray. That's what allowed them not to reach their goal, not to to be in a time of triumph, but actually a time of tragedy. And and as they returned home, none of them were holding a gold medal in the 400-meter relay race. And today we're going to see something similar. As you turn to Acts chapter 15, and as we wrap up Acts chapter 15, we're going to see something what, what I have entitled... The sermon today, we're going to see triumph to tragedy because that is what we are going to see. We're going to see something so amazing, so incredibly good and gracious of our God as this team comes from Jerusalem back to Antioch and and delivers the letter and and all the rejoicing that happens over this letter. And and we're going to see that the church is strengthened and, and it is a time of triumph for the Lord. As no doubt Satan was thinking he could, he could demolish Christ's church from the inside. And he doesn't do that. But what we are also going to see is, is this triumph turns to tragedy. As, as Paul and Barnabas should, just aren't able to get along. That, that baton that should have been passed as, as missionaries to one another is dropped. As they hold on to, to their own pride and what they believe is the best plan for John Mark and for their second missionary journey. And in the end, it ends up dividing them and creating division. So, so turn with me to Acts chapter 15 and we're going to look at verses 30 all the way to, to 41. And we're going to see this triumph to tragedy presented before us and hope that we will learn. That, that we will learn how to walk the road to tragedy or stay away from the road to tragedy and walk the road to triumph by God's grace. Verse 30, So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let me open our time in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we, we stop and we acknowledge the fact that we desperately need you. We recognize that we cannot walk this path that you have set before us in our own power and our own strength and our own wisdom. But we need to have your eyes, we need to have your understanding, and we know that comes through your word. So we pray that you would teach us this morning how to walk the road that that leads to triumph, that leads to you empowering us, you receiving the glory and your grace being manifested in our lives, Lord, and that you would keep us from the road that leads to tragedy. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you'll remember, that this is basically the wrap-up of what we've seen in, in chapter 15. As Antioch was visited by some so-called believers from Jerusalem saying, hey, in order for you guys to be saved, you must be circumcised. And as the believers in Antioch heard that, we, we found out that their response was total fear. In trepidation, they, 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 they were scared. Oh my, are you kidding me? Am I truly not saved? Do I have to be circumcised? And, and as a result, their salvation was brought into question. And, and Paul and Barnabas stood up for them. Stood up for the Lord and said, Oh no, it's, it, it's by grace through faith alone that you are saved. And then the church decides to send them to Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem. And there they, they recount the story and all that God had done in and through their preaching and their teaching and all the different many Gentiles that were saved. And as a result, we see that the Jerusalem Council writes this letter, the leaders there, and now they're sending the letter along with two individuals that are representatives of their church, right? Judas and Silas. And isn't it interesting that Paul and Barnabas can do all of that? That they can stand in opposition to these Judaizers, that, that they can represent Christ in front of this great big group. And then what we're going to see is they, but they can't get along with one another. That there is something that they each hold so dear that they are willing to go ahead and divide over and each walk their own way. And what we're going to see this morning are, are two roads leading to two entirely different finish lines. And one, so to speak, is the finish line where you do get the gold medal, and that would be the road to triumph. And what we're going to see this morning is that road leads to the encouragement and the strengthening of Christ's church. But another road that is depicted at the end of chapter 15 is an entirely different road. That, that is the road where, where you are, so to speak, disqualified. That is the road that leads to disagreement and division. But what we're going to look at first this morning is, is this road to triumph. As we're going to see three keys that will help us to find ourselves on the right road, to stay on the right road, the road to triumph. And the first key is this. And it's seen in verse 30. And that, that key is... Focus on others, not focus on ourselves, not focus on me, not you focus on you, but focus on others. Look at verse 30. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. 
I believe this speaks of two different avenues by which we can see how they were focused on others. First, we see it in the way that the church in Jerusalem was functioning. They, they weren't just considering themselves and only looking right here in their own little box and in their own little world, in their own little community and in their own little city. They were looking outside of themselves and saying, oh my, you know what? These believers in Antioch are in a bad spot. And we need to encourage them. We need to love on them. So yes, let's send this letter. And let's encourage them. And let's not just send a letter. Let's send two of our leaders in order for them to communicate verbally what is going on and for, in order for them to see them. And know how much we love and desire their spiritual growth. We recognize that, that these are now fearful over whether they are saved or not. And we want to encourage them. And notice here too, this wasn't just the leaders that were sending them. This was the whole body. They all understood that their focus should be on others. But that focus doesn't stop just in Jerusalem. We, we see it being depicted in, in verse 30 when they arrive in Antioch. It's not readily apparent because all it says is that they gathered the congregation together. But what we have to understand is that this was not one singular congregation. This was not RBC in one particular body where we could say, hey, we're going to have a great big town hall. Everybody come. This was a whole bunch of house churches scattered throughout. And so in order for them to meet as one congregation, and, and, and this is not the word ecclesia for church. This is the word for a great big group. So it's a whole bunch of churches meeting together. In order for that to happen, this was hard work. They, they had to give some sort of communication to all the leaders in the various home churches and say, hey, look, let's meet at such and such time at such and such place. Perhaps a synagogue or perhaps some sort of assembly hall. But, but the point is, is that they were focused on others. They didn't want just one small little group in Antioch to, to hear the message of the letter, to hear what was going to be said by Judas and Silas. They didn't want just the leaders to hear. They wanted everyone to hear. Their focus, again, was on others. And, and how good are we at that? Is that something that you struggle with like I do? It's difficult at times to get our focus off of ourselves and, and think about others. How do you foster a willingness to be others focused, to focus on others? Might I give a suggestion? Spend time in the Gospels. Spend time reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and looking at the life of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus was all about? He was all about others. He came to serve others, to seek that which was lost. And so he, he goes after children, he goes after women, he goes after men, he goes after everyone. At any opportunity that would present itself, he was always others focused. Focused upon the will of the Father as well. And the more that we spend time with Jesus and, and we see the way that he lives, the more that that changes our mindset. Perhaps a way to practically put this before us on, on a Sunday is, okay, maybe you can actually, you could come to church a little bit early. And as everybody's hanging out, out outside, you, you purpose in your heart, I'm going to find someone who, who isn't 
spending time with a whole bunch of other people. Maybe one family that's kind of by themselves. And you go over and you just say good morning. And you welcome them. And you, and you spend a little bit of time asking them how their, how their week was. So, so we see that, that, yes, first they had this focus on others. But, but that's not all that they had. Look at verses 31 to 33 as we see clearly here that they also are used by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we should desire to be in order for us to follow this road to triumph. Where God will empower us, the Holy Spirit will work through us. As is so clear here, 31 to, to 33, when they had read it, the letter, we're not certain who read it. And let, let me say, why, why would they read this letter? Well, because everyone there was not literate. And so they'd have to read the letter. But then look at the response. They rejoice because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. So what were they doing? What what were these two men, Judas and Silas, doing? They, They were using the very gifts that the Holy Spirit had given them. And in, in this case, we're told that, that they were made prophets. But recognize this. These gifts don't exercise themselves. It, it, it isn't like that's some sort of autopilot mode that the Holy Spirit would turn on and then they wouldn't have a choice. They just had to come right in front of everybody and speak. No, no, that isn't how these gifts are exercised. These gifts are exercised as you and I, we step forward and use them as we place ourselves in opportunities to even discover what our gifts are. And, and that is what they are doing. Yes, they're prophets, but they still had to stand up and speak. And you might be wondering, okay, well, what, what is a, a prophet anyways? Is this the same depiction of what we've seen earlier in the book of Acts? And I would say no. You see, earlier when, when we've seen the term used prophets, it, it was in a sermon by Peter. And when he says, just as it says in the prophets, what's he doing? He's pointing back to the Old Testament. He's, he's even quoting Moses and Isaiah and Amos. And he's, and he's going back to, to some of the prophets. And prophet, generally, what, what it characterizes is an office. Who he is, who this man was. But then there's also the gift of prophecy, which is what he does. It's the work that he does. So on the one hand, there's there's the office of prophet. But then on the other hand, there's this work of prophecy. And the work of prophecy is is twofold. On the one hand, and and what we generally see, and, and at least when I think of prophecy, this is probably what you think of. You think of someone telling what's going to happen in the future. Right? That's generally what we think of for prophecy. And that is a lot of what Old Testament prophets did. That they foretold what was going to happen. But they also proclaimed what the word of the Lord was. What God had told them. And so prophet in Greek is prophetess, which means to speak in the place of someone. Or to be a spokesman. So, so what it is, is, is a prophet then is someone who is a spokesman for God. And so if someone says, hey, I have a word from the Lord or the Lord has given me the gift of prophecy, what that person is claiming is that they are indeed a spokesman for God. 
And the problem with this, at least as far as the way I look at so many people today saying, oh, I have the gift of prophecy or I'm a modern day prophet, is that the Old Testament has some pretty serious qualifications for what a prophet is and how a prophet functions. There's three of them, and there, there's probably more, but let, let me just give you three. The first one's found in Deuteronomy 13, to 5 and that is that a prophet, he had to line up with whatever he was teaching with what God's Word says. In other words, he cannot pull someone away from following Yahweh, from worshiping Yahweh. If a prophet, to his own advantage, said, okay, such and such is going to happen in a week's time, and that actually happens, and everybody comes to him and says, oh my, you are so powerful. Then he says, yes, worship me. Or, oh yes, worship this idol over here. What would happen at that point? If he was causing the children of Israel to turn away from Yahweh, he would then be killed. That was the consequence. That was the result, the penalty for not teaching God's word and God's way to God's people. The second qualification or characteristic is that they had to be morally pure. They they could not be immoral, sexually immoral or what have you. And that's seen in Jeremiah 23, verses 14 to 16. Jeremiah 23, verses 14 to 16. If they were not like that, they were considered a false prophet if they were immoral. And that would disqualify so many today. But this third one would disqualify just about all of them. And, and the third qualification is this, and this is found in Deuteronomy 18, 21-22. Do you know that when an Old Testament prophet foretold the future, what was his percentage of accuracy? Could he be 80% accurate? Could he get 8 out of 10 right? That's a B. Right? Or a 7 out of 10. That'll still get you through school. Probably not grad school, but it will still get you through. Could 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, okay, 9 out of 10. Hey, he's got an A, just not an A+. No, God's Word says that they had to be 100% accurate. 100% 100% accurate. And, and we see the same thing in the New Testament. We, we don't see any of these qualifications, these characteristics change. Even though today you, you know what some say. Some say, oh no, you know what? That was then. That was an Old Testament prophet. Today we have New Testament prophets. And New Testament prophets are, are kind of like a, a, a second tier level. They're a step down. They, they don't have to live up to that high standard of being 100%. And, and yet I, that, I don't see that anywhere in God's Word. It's consistent with what, what, what's presented in the Old Testament is what is presented in the New Testament. Even as far as immorality. Second Peter chapter 2 ta- talks about that. That that's a way for us to know if that person is a true prophet or a false prophet. You know, I believe that like the apostles, this office of prophet died out. It ceased to keep going on as soon as these guys all died. Just as the Old Testament, do you know why we don't have further books of the Old Testament continuing to be written? Because all the Old Testament prophets died. God was finished giving His special revelation through the means of His prophets. Okay, the New Testament, the reason why we don't have continuing 
epistles and other things being added to God's Word is the same exact reason because God finished speaking. He wrote His Word completely in what we have before us. That is what we call the canon of Scripture. As far as the revelation of Scripture, it is complete. And so what do we say about these men? Were were these men prophets? Yes, these men were prophets. That's exactly what God's Word says. But were they functioning in such a way that they're talking about the future? No. And and this goes into the, the third key that is crucial for us to stay on this road of triumph, the Lord's road, And that is that we must stay centered on God's Word. And that is what they do. Look at verse 35. And let me just say a word about verse 34. For those of you that even have verse 34 in your Bibles, if you have an ESV and you're reading that this morning, or you're reading an NIV, then then you notice as as I was reading my Bible, which is an NASB, your Bible didn't have anything for 34. That is because the ESV and the NIV use manuscripts that that are older. And in those older manuscripts, it doesn't contain 34. That's why it's bracketed. And many believe that this was scribes adding in one verse in order to put Silas back in Antioch so that he can team up with the Apostle Paul. But we're going to find in verse 36 that there was quite a bit of time that, that happened that Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch preaching and teaching. And during that time, there was plenty of time for Silas to go all the way back home to Jerusalem and then come back. Okay, enough about verse 34. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also. The word of the Lord. Do you see God's grace? And again, why I believe that there's more than one church. Because it's just not Paul and Barnabas that are the ones preaching and teaching. And many others also. So, so I'm thinking that all these house churches, you have different ones that have been gifted by the Holy Spirit in the gifts of preaching and teaching. And those are the ones that are preaching and teaching, being the pastors of these small little churches. And I believe, too, that Paul and Barnabas were also prophets. That's what we saw in Acts 13. As we were introduced to the church in Antioch, we were told that there was a whole group of men there that could handle the Word of God. And, And that's exactly what they are doing. They are staying centered on God's Word. And yet I also believe that as we look at this and, and we recognize, okay, yes, this, this office of being a prophet has ended, but this gift of prophecy is, is still used today. And it's used in such a way that, that we see here in verse 35 and we see it in, in verse 32. What was the way that they were prophesying? They were giving a lengthy message in 32 and in 35 they were preaching and teaching. So I believe today that the way that this gift of prophecy is displayed is displayed in those that, that are able to by God's and gifting, by the Holy Spirit giving someone the ability to preach and teach in such a way that when those that listen and hear the word spoken by that particular person, the body understands. The body responds and grows and is able to apply God's word to their lives. This is what's seen in, in First Timothy or Second Timothy 
chapter 3, verses 16 to, to 4, chapter 2, and uh, verses that, that we're all familiar with. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And then what does Paul say at the end in, in verse 2, chapter 4? He says, well, then preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. But think about where we are at this point. Everything is so good, right? God's grace is being manifested in this church through the preaching and teaching of Barnabas and Paul and Judas and Silas at first, and now they're back in Jerusalem. So what happens next? What happens is what happens to so many of us that we don't recognize that this transition, this step from from being on the right road, from being on the road to triumph to getting over to this road to tragedy, is it's, it's so subtle that it's almost unnoticeable. And that's what we're going to see. Look at verse 36. This certainly doesn't seem like a bad plan. No, this is a great plan. None of us would look at this and say, oh no, Paul, don't even come up with such a suggestion. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. No, this is Paul's heart. This is the heart of a missionary. What does he want to do? He wants to go back and check on them. This is a great plan. So what goes wrong? Well, what we see is in verses 37 to 38 is this little nuance that starts off where, where it seems like, oh, oh, Barnabas, all he's concerned with is Mark. No, after a while it, it morphs and it becomes a concern for self. And what they are now doing, both of them, is, is they are taking a step towards this road to tragedy. Look at verses 37 to 38. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So, so Barnabas says, no, I, I, I want to take him. And, and the word there is actually, he's determined in his heart with a strong purpose. This means he, he is immovable. Hey, Paul, that's a great idea, but we're taking Mark. Paul says, we're not taking him. He, he's a casualty. He, he's, he's a missionary dropout. We, we can't take him. And then what happens? The two of them just buck heads. I, I believe this, this, this is an example of, of two men and, and their strengths turning into their weaknesses. What, what's Paul's strength? Well, I believe he, we see it time and time again. He's a committed man. He's committed to doing whatever he has set before him. Before he was saved, he was committed to destroying Christ's church. Now that he's saved, he's committed to planting Christ's churches everywhere. And he's not willing to give that up. He's holding on to it with both hands. And Barnabas, what he's like, he is, he is just a man full of compassion. And he's not willing to give up that. And so the two of them are, are, are holding on to that. And they're not willing to let that go. And so Paul keeps insisting. Barnabas keeps wanting. And what happens? As, as the focus on self grows, so does the argument. And finally, it gets to the place to where they are, they are used by their flesh. Look at verse 39a. It's just a small little section, but oh so important. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. That this kept escalating to the point to where finally they said, okay, 
We're just going to go our separate ways. That, that word sharp, it's the idea of, of having a knife and cutting someone. That's what they are doing. They are cutting each other with their speech. And recognize who these men are. These men have, have spent their lives together, ministering together, risking their very lives together. From the beginning, who was it that, that came and encouraged Paul and encouraged the church in Jerusalem? Hey, no, this guy is truly saved. It, it was Barnabas. Who was it that called Paul to, to come and to help him in Antioch? It was Barnabas. Who was it that, that together went on their first missionary journey? It was these two. And now they're, they're willing to just let all that go? Why is that? I believe because pride has settled in. And they're holding on to their own ideas which is the third thing that we see oh so clearly is that they were centered on their own plan instead of God's plan as revealed in His Word. This is all that they wanted to do. This, is what, this was what they were all about. Look at verses 39, the last section of 39 to 41. And let me close with this. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, so what is the problem here? Why is this friction going on? I believe it's, it's going on because of a lack of grace. A lack of grace. Paul doesn't want to extend Mark any grace. And, and Barnabas, on the other hand, he's refusing not to. Say, no, we have to give him grace. And Paul is saying, no, we don't. And they hold on to those opinions, to those preferences so strongly that finally they say, you know what? That's okay. You go your way, I'll go my way. And I don't believe the great tragedy here is that one missionary team has turned into two. Because we're going to see the Lord uses this. That the big tragedy is the way that they separated and the way that they divided when they did not have to do that. This tragedy is totally avoidable. This was not something that, that needed to become a tragedy. But because of their own stubbornness, they kept holding on to their own position. And yet, look at this. This is what's so encouraging. When you look at these two, and, and seriously, what was there a missionary team that that was more put together by the Lord than these two, that was more successful than these two. I, I don't think there was. And yet, even though these guys, were, the Lord had used them so much and they make this, this terrible decision at this point, look at what the Lord does at the very end in verse 41. As Paul then, he goes on his second missionary journey and they've, they've separated. And then it says this, traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That is God's grace, right? That He's still using them, using them each. The problem is, is that Barnabas and Paul will never minister together again. They'll be reconciled. We know that from 1 Corinthians 9, 6. They, 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 they do get reconciled to one another, but they will not serve as co-workers again. Perhaps this is a message for you this morning. That as you consider, consider this, perhaps there is a Barnabas in your life 
that for whatever reason you guys have parted and gone your own separate ways and what the Lord would desire is for you to seek reconciliation with that particular person. That is what I believe the the Lord would desire for us in this. It, It wasn't so much that this was totally a bad idea for them to go their separate ways. No, perhaps if they'd come up with the game plan, you know what? Okay, you go over to Cyprus, Barnabas, because that's where you're from and that will work so much better. We can conquer two birds with one stone. We can get twice as much work done if we separate. And if, and Barnabas might have said, yes, and, and I believe that, that young Mark, he will grow. And so, so let me disciple him. And Paul says, okay, and I will take this man, Silas. But that isn't the way that they worked. In the end, that's how the Lord works it out. And we're going to see that, that Mark is prepared and ready. Let me close with two points to ponder, things to consider. Number one, consider how the church in Antioch rejoiced and was encouraged when the letter from the Jerusalem church leaders was read. What encourages you? And how might you encourage others? Perhaps like, like we looked at last week, writing a letter to someone. Number two, consider how it was through the preaching of the word of God that the church in Antioch was strengthened and encouraged. How important is preaching to a particular church? And how how important is preaching to you? Is this something that should be the foundation of every church? I believe from Scripture it, it lets us know that yes, it should be indeed. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us this morning of the importance of centering our lives upon your word, of being used by the Holy Spirit, for we know that it is only through him and and, and his wonderful empowering that we can live this life that you have before us, Lord. And help us, Lord, to have a focus on others, not solely upon ourselves. Go before us now as we seek to, to serve you and thank you for your wonderful grace, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.